Hey, there's something uh, in the Psalms that says that in quiet, I'm not sure, somewhere in the Bible it says in quietness and rest, um, or quietness and trust is our rest. And there's something about quieter times and uh, trusting God when, okay, yeah, there's, yeah, you're here, all right, that's good. And I really believe God is ministering, I, I, I'd love to hear some stories about even what impressions and just encouragement that you felt as we were worshiping this morning. And we got more to come. So we're, this summer, we're talking about summer loving. We're looking at experiencing God's love in our lives in a real personal way, and so much that there's an overflow that we can bring that love to others. And there's nothing that brings out in me the sort of just lovey-dovey sort of feelings, quite like a little baby. Uh, Katie and Sager got a little, little baby David, saw him here this morning a little bit ago, I, I can't see him right now, he's shielded, but it's like, oh, you just kind of like, oh man, I just want to hold him and touch him and take care of him, and something about a little baby, there's, there's nothing else like that. And I thought recently about, we, our family has been blessed to have five children, and you'd think by the fifth one that we knew what we were doing, and so when we had our fifth child, little Amzy, she's seven now, we, she was born here in Manhattan, and we I went to the hospital, she was, she was born, and there was a new thing that had never happened in any of our five kids, is that before we left the hospital, there was this new rule in place, I think it was a state, statewide rule, a law, that you had to watch this video before you could leave the hospital. And the video was basically about, the, it started showing these pictures, not of people ooing and gooing with their babies, but video scenarios of moms and dads that were incredibly frazzled and worn out because their babies were crying and wouldn't stop crying and they were exhausted and this baby's crying and they're at the end of their wits and don't know what to do. And it was basically explaining, hey, this is a normal thing that happens and you need to be really careful not to, you can, just, you can have one moment of like taking that baby and shaking it and do a lot of damage to that child. And, and I, after the fifth child, we really realized, you know, yes, we don't really like being preached to about how to take care of our babies, but there's a need here. Because as precious and cuddly and wonderful as that baby is, there are times, in that first year in particular, when you are sleep-deprived, sleep and sleep deprivation will do a number on you, and you, your baby is crying, you've done everything you know how to do, it's the middle of the night, maybe you've got neighbors in the apartment next door, or you just are exhausted, and, you, and this baby won't stop crying. And we, our first baby actually had a lot of situations like this. I could tell a lot more stories. And, but that, you don't feel like loving at all. You don't feel very kind. You don't feel very patient. And, you know, it's not just babies that have that sort of, that bring out those sort of feelings in us. It's all of our relationships can be very challenging, right? You know, I mean, at least most of them. You, maybe you have one friend that never has any challenges. They're really nice or something. But we, we like the idea of love, but it, we're talking about real people with real problems, real weaknesses, people who oftentimes it doesn't seem like they deserve to be loved. And it certainly doesn't feel like they deserve our love right now. Kind of like that baby screaming at the top of their lungs at 3 a.m. Like, oh, I'm exhausted. You, you just give me a break. And 
that, the, all relationships are hard. We get to that place. And so we're talking today about when they don't deserve it. Love when it doesn't feel like the people around us deserve love. And this is, we're talking about real people, real world, messy situations, and really our own impatience, our own frustration, our own irritation. I, I was on Facebook more than normal this past week, I'm not sure why, but I saw some, a friend of ours, they had a baby recently, and it was another one of these scenarios, like, they've been, she'd been posting all these adorable pictures of their, their newborn, and I, I think this little girl's like two weeks old now, and there's been picture after picture this cute little baby and cute little poses and cute little outfits and oh isn't she so precious and then there was this this post where our friend the, the one post was like oh you guys she's just so precious that was her her tweet or her post and this adorable picture of a baby and then the next picture or the next the next post was who knew parenthood was so hard and it was like you know gassy baby figuring it out and it was amazing in like an hour there were 41 comments from other parents who were like, yes, we've been there, we know what it's like, and they were giving ideas and suggestions and all this stuff, but people could relate. So, man, this is, this is really hard. And all right, we're going to look at uh, the love chapter this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Just, uh, just a couple of verses from there we're going to focus on this week. Um, it's, oh, this is a, a passage you hear read at weddings a lot. And we got like three couples here that just got married in the last month or so. It was really, really cool to see everybody, Chris and Jacqueline and Melanie and Sawyer back there. First time I've seen them back here, yeah. And Michael and Bailey, it's not very long. So, God, it's exciting. So I don't know that we read this. I can't remember. But maybe we read 1 Corinthians 13, one of those. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And there's a lot more, but that's enough right there for today. And we're mostly going to camp on that first phrase. Love is patient and kind. Now, sometimes I wish that wasn't in the Bible. Because I wish it just said, I mean, it'd be easier for me if it said, love is heroic. And love jumps in front of a car and rescues children when they're about to die. Or something like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do like the tough, heroic, hard stuff. But love is patient and kind. That is actually, when it comes down to being patient and kind on a daily basis to the people around me, I find that that is really, really hard a whole lot of the time. Anyone else? Am I just the only, like bad person here. I, man, it is hard for me to be patient and kind a whole lot of the time. And if you think about it, who do you have to be patient and kind to? People who don't deserve to be patient and kind, right? If, if they were like making us happy, you wouldn't have to be patient with them. You may not have to be too kind to them. You need to be kind to people that are maybe vulnerable and, and weak but also people that are just doggone irritating and getting under our nerves and different than us and doing stupid stuff and doing stuff that we think is stupid and telling us we're doing stuff that's stupid and and all the conflict and the drama that's like is part of life in those situations with those people 
That's what it says. Love is patient and kind. It's not easily irritable. We're like, oh God, this, there better be a God. Because I can't do this on my own. I cannot be patient and kind on my own ability. And you know, really, we're, we, we talked about as we kicked off this series, First, uh, first John 4 says, God is love. And that's a big statement. There's no other attribute of God that that is said about. God, God has many attributes. God is powerful. God is, God is holy. But the Bible doesn't say God is holiness or God is power. It doesn't just say God is loving. It says God is love. The essence of God's nature is love. The essence of Christianity, the essence of the life we're called to is a life of love. And that's impossible apart from God. And I just, I think it's, and a lot of times we don't really, we have to get back to, do I believe that God is love? Because we have to know God is love if we're going to be loving to others. We have to know that God is loving to undeserving people like us if we're going to be patient and kind to other undeserving people. And really, you could say this, if you go back to this whole, this, this love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, you could read it, God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. God is not irritable or resentful. And sometimes that, that challenges our theology. Because like, we can think that God's irritated. We can think that God's annoyed. We can think that he's always sort of like, hey, you know, you're not measuring up. But God is patient. God is kind. That's, that's who he is. And that's really... What, what love is. Love, this is, if you're going to remember one thing today, remember this. Love doesn't look to what people deserve. It looks to how people are designed. Love isn't about giving people what they deserve. It's easy to love people when they love us or when they're treating us well. But it's harder when things aren't going so well. But love doesn't look to, hey, how, what are they doing to me? But who are they? How are they designed? This is a person. When we realize this person who's getting under my skin right now, and I hope you're thinking about a person, not just to be annoyed at them, but to get real in like applying this. This person, they're made by God. They're made in God's image. And as much as I don't like them or as much as they're difficult to live with right now, this is a person that God made and, and really has honored. And, you know, this is... This is so powerful. One of the greatest stories that, one of the greatest books I think that's you know, been written in the last couple hundred years, at least one of the most well-known, and I think it's because it conveys the essence of God's heart in a really powerful way, is, is Les Miserables. The, it was written by the French author Victor Hugo. And the story is about um, the man Jean Valjean, who, as a young man, his, his sister was impoverished, and her husband had died, and Jean Valjean stole a loaf of bread. He broke a, a window in a, a bakery, stole a loaf of bread to, to feed his sister's family. And he got caught and was sent to five years in prison for that crime. And then through subsequent like, escape attempts, he ended up spending 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. And so, as you can imagine... By the time this 
his prison sentence was over, Jean Valjean was a very bitter man. He was full of anger, full of rage, embittered, just angry at the system, angry at the world, just ready to do whatever he could to just to, to, to get his way. But there was not an ounce of, of kindness or compassion or mercy left in him. And right after he got released, a priest took him in for the night. And he spent the night there. And the priest had really one valuable possession that was this, his silver. So his, his dishes and his, his utensils was made of silver. It was, it was valuable. And Jean Valjean, in the middle of the night, got up, left the place, and stole all the silver he could find so he could go and sell it and make his way in the world. He was caught the next day, and the authorities recognized where the, the silver came from and took him back to the priest's house and said, Hey, we found this guy. He stole your silver. Here he is. We caught him. And the priest looked at him and said, Oh, no, he didn't steal it. It was a gift. And by the way, Jean, you, you left the plates over here. How could you forget those? And he went to his cupboard and he gave him the rest of the silver that Jean Valjean hadn't taken. And so he wasn't arrested. He escaped. And the story goes on to say that it didn't happen immediately, but, but the priest, before he left, he said, he looked at him, he said, with this silver, I purchase your soul. And later that day, Jean Valjean's heart just was broken. And he realized the love of God. And he realized that the compassion and kindness had been extended to him when he didn't deserve it. And he ended up taking that silver and building and starting a new life and ended up building business and became the mayor of this whole town and extended incredible kindness and compassion to other people that were in need. And you know, the whole the story goes on and on. There's much more beyond that. But one act of love and kindness, real, you know, it was a very generous act of kindness, ended up changing that man's life forever. And that's the kind of thing that God has called us to live like that, that in our interactions with people, we're bringing God's love and kindness in a way because that's what changes people's lives. That's what changes the world. And so, man, it's, it's powerful, but it's, it's so hard. Um, and how, how, can, how can we do this? And there's a, I want to look at in Colossians chapter 2. Actually, Colossians chapter 3, it, it lays out how can we walk this out? How can we love people? How can we be patient and kind when people don't deserve it? So Colossians chapter 2, or chapter 3, starting in verse 5, we're just going to walk, walk through this. This is Paul the Apostle writes. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, I, it stands out that it's put to death what is earthly or selfish or sinful in you. And I, when I'm having an issue with someone that's tough for me to love, my focus goes to them and the obvious stuff in them that's messed up, because it's obvious, right? And they're obviously the one 
causing the problem here because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the right. I'm always in the right, actually, or, you know, most of the time. But it's these other daggum people around me that are so messed up. And oftentimes, you know, it's not hard to see the stuff that people around us are doing that really is messed up and broken and selfish. But Paul says, hey, don't focus on them. Put to death what is earthly and selfish in you. And it doesn't say like, hey, just sort of be aware of it, but it's put to death. It doesn't get much stronger than that. It's, it's see the stuff in my own heart, see the stuff in your own heart that is selfish, and put that to death. And if you look at the stuff that it lists there, it's that sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, every one of these sin patterns in us, they have to sin, a lot of what it is, it's being self-centered and using other people to get what we want. If you look at lust, the NIV, other translations translate some of this, the impurity or, or, or evil desire as, as lust. The essence of lust is that you're, you're looking at someone else in a way that is not valuing them and serving them in the way even that the sexuality was meant to, to, to bring people together and to love and give of yourself to another person, but it's seeing another person as an object to help you kind of get something out of that. And that's what sin does, is it takes people and we look, it's, you know, lust is an obvious example, but we do this in all our relationships. We see people and we are in our brokenness, we take them and we, we want them to do something for us. And it says at the end of the day, that's idolatry. That's not looking, because God is the only one who can fill us. God is the only one who can satisfy us. So whenever we're giving into sin, we're looking to something else to, to make us happy or do something for us that only God can do. And, and the Bible says, hey, be aware of that stuff in us. What are the hidden motives in our own heart? What's the, what's the immorality? What's the covetousness? What's the envy? What's going on? Identify it and realize, okay, in this relational difficulty, or in my difficulty being patient and kind to this person, let me not focus on them, but focus on me and put to death what's going on in me. All right, anybody got anything they can apply from that so far? That's, we could probably go home right there. That's, that's, that's powerful. That's so real. It says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So he's saying, hey, before you were a Christian, this was the only way you lived, but when you turn from your sin and trust in Christ, you don't have to live this way any longer. We have a way out to put those things to death and live a different way. But now you must put them all away. And it's got another good list here. Anger, wrath, malice, that's like being mean-spirited, wanting people to get what's due them. Uh, slander, talking about people, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew and Greek, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so it says, hey, as followers of Christ, we can put off the old stuff that's obsessed with ourself and put on the new self. And it says when that happens, the old divisions, one of the greatest, one of the most uh, 
painful consequences of sin in the world is the divisions between people. We have divisions now between black and white and you know, ethnicities and na- nations and cultures and socioeconomic, rich and poor and all of that. And really, Paul is listing out all these things here. It, it has to do with slave and free. That's like rich and poor. Whether you're, you know, live on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. God brings that all together. It lists different nationalities. Scythians, barbarians. It's, it's saying, like, the Scythians is kind of funny. That was like people that lived in what's now like, like Russia. So even like, you know, we got the America, Russia, there's a little division there. That's even saying, hey, that's not an issue. Like the, none of that matters anymore. God brings all of us together in Christ. But we've got to put to death what's, what's earthly in us. And then it goes on in verse 12. I love this. So we've got to take off the old, identify it in us and take it off. And then it says in verse 12, put on then. As God's chosen ones, you're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So that's that. I mean, I feel like when I'm having a hard time being patient and kind, I feel like there's nothing I can do. I feel like, man, this is just too much. Like, I don't have much in me that, that feels like there's kindness and compassion, patience inside of me. But Paul says, God's word says, if you are a believer, if you have a new nature, then you have the ability to put off the selfish stuff and put on the new clothes that God has given us. And what are those clothes? It's the character of God. The grace of God in our lives. Compassion. What is it? Compassion. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. And patience. So just like clothes, we can say, okay, God, I'm putting off those old, dirty, stinky clothes. I, I went for a run last night, and that t-shirt, I, man, I don't know if it's going to get old. It wasn't even that hot, but it was so sweaty. I could hardly, like, this is nasty. That's what, our, that's what our attitudes are like. God's saying, take that off and put on something new. Put on compassionate hearts. That's what God has made available to us. We can, we can put it on and put on the attitude God has for us. And it goes on, verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so, also, so you also must forgive. Forgiveness is essential. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There it is. Love is kind of like the, all that stuff comes. Love is the essence of all of that. If we just put on love, take off the old, put on love, then all the rest comes from there. And, in, and let the peace of God, peace of Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now it's interesting that Peace comes after all this other stuff is put on. When we put love in our hearts, we put on love, then peace comes after that. But until we have love, there's, there's no peace in us or, or through us. So, man, that's how it works. Anybody got any questions about that? Put off the old, put on the new. It's interesting this week, the... The issue, I, 
the, the issue that's been in the news more than any other probably this week has been the immigration issue at our southern border where children had been detained from their, from their parents who were trying to come into the U.S., many of them seeking political asylum. And I actually, I have never done this in my life, but I stopped by, I'd been wanting to talk to a representative about the whole immigration issue, and just following this, what was going on with, it was was very black and white to me. Like, look, it's just not right to separate kids from their their parents. And thankfully, President Trump changed that course of action, and things are starting to move back the the other way in the last few days. But I stopped by Senator Jerry Moran's office, which if you don't know, he's got an office right here in Manhattan right behind the Walgreens on Anderson down the road. And he wasn't there, but one of, there was a guy in the office and had a really good conversation with him and basically said, okay, what do you, what's your opinion about immigration? And so all the stuff I've been wanting to tell our senator, I like poured my guts out and told him. He's like, okay, anything else? Yeah, what about this? And he's taking notes. I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, this U.S. senator, and I'm giving him a piece right here. And so and you also do the same thing. And he's like, yeah, we, I'm, I'm writing a report right now because more people are contacting our office about this than any other issue as long as I've been here. And that was the case nationwide. Like, people were more motivated about this issue, thinking about parents and kids being separated. And then some really, I mean, there were, like, there are buildings where kids are just acting out and throwing temper tantrums, and it's, you know, chaotic, really tough situation going on. And... So people were, which was, which was cool, that people cared enough to do something, and the politicians are feeling some of that, that pressure. Um, you know, on the one hand, I, I, was, I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, that's really great, and I'm glad. Although in some ways, it's easier to do that. It's easier for me to talk to a senator about those kids at the southern border than to be ki- kind to my kids sometimes, right? It's easier to deal with the injustices out there than the injustices in our own life. But we really need to deal with both. And one of the things, I, I mentioned I was on Facebook more this week, but one of the things I saw was there's a, a woman, many of you have met her, Michelle, Michelle Chavez, who Bluemont supports. She's a missionary in Brazil. She's from Brazil. She came to Kansas to go to university, worked as a special ed teacher here for several years, and then she's been back in Brazil working with Youth with a Mission, um, much of her time has been working with street kids in the, the slums of Brazil and really helping get them a good foundation. And it's, it's cool, not all, not all of them have had success in their life, but a number of them have gone off to college, gotten a good foundation in their life. It's, it's amazing. She's also helped with sex trafficking issues, not only in Brazil, but actually all over the world. And so Michelle is one of my heroes. Like, she is living with kindness and patience and compassion, laying down her life for other people in a way that's making a difference in the world. And so Michelle is a very nice person, but she posted on Facebook, and she said, I don't usually do this, and I love America, I appreciate America, but she expressed her concern about the issues that were happening at our border. And, and she said, you know, I'm not for open borders, you know, of course there needs to be security, but, you know, uh, but separating kids from their parents isn't a good idea. And, and she said it much more eloquently than that. And, but then she said, but you also have to think about what is driving people to do this? What is driving families to come to the border knowing that they might be separated from their kids, many of them? You, and she said graciously, she basically said, you Americans have no clue 
about what life is like in Latin America, and especially in Central America right now, where many of these families are coming from, where there's civil unrest, there's rioting going on, there's inc incredible political turmoil, gangs are, are, there's gang violence that's devastating nations and people's lives. He said, you need to realize that people are living in these situations. And not just think about you know, issues there, but issues around the world. And so she said that very graciously. And another friend wrote back, and she said, hey, I really appreciate that. Um, she said, but what can we do? Because it's easy to say, man, the problem is, is tough, but what can we actually do? And I just want to read some of Michelle's thoughts about this, because I think it's very applicable to us. Michelle said, I certainly am no expert on this, but here are some thoughts. In one word, <coughs> discipleship. At the personal and community level, in an intentional way to heal relationships, teach self-governance, stewardship of creation, including recognizing the riches in our own backyard and resources. And she's saying, around the world, including in the streets of Brazil where she lives, teaching people there that, hey, you have resources. You are not completely impoverished. You are made in God's image. And there are resources here that God wants you to learn how to develop and use and see things change in your environment. Um, and fighting systemic injustice. We need people who will speak up and act for what is right, not self-interest, change unjust laws, and bring criminals to justice. And we need people who will foster and mentor and adopt kids, who will support small, budding community initiatives, and help them get organized and efficient, whilst keeping the community values and traditions. So that all sounds great. And then I love this. She says, I cannot see a better option to do all this than the local church. It is by no means a short-term solution, but that's what is most important. And she goes on and says a lot of things about political solutions. And then she goes on and she talks about people that are doing this that she knows and across South America, across Central America, across the world, that it's, it's small, seemingly poor church communities where people are learning to make disciples, to care for the individuals around them, and then bring solutions to their communities. And that that is the best way to bring transformation to the world. And, you know, I, I just love that. Because it can just feel like, oh, man, what are we? What's a church? You know, what, what do we do? The government is the one who really solves the problems right. You know, that's one of the biggest misnomers that, has, that our society has believed, is that government brings solutions. If we want to deal with poverty or real problems, then we need the government. Whenever because God has made the families and individuals and churches to be the ones who bring personal, caring answers to the needs around us. And that starts with, with our individual relationships. And so it really matters. Like, our relationships really matter. Making disciples really matter. Being kind to people around us really matters. All right. I love, too, that as I think about what Michelle is talking about and these, these community initiatives and believers that are just seeing the needs around them and figuring out what can we do and how can we, how can we take in one, one orphan here? How can we bring in one foster child here? Man, this fly is crazy. <laughs> it's been chasing me. How can we kill one fly there? Yeah, we need to bring some kindness to the planet. Uh, 
Yes, I, I figured <laughs> that was the case. Um, the thing that stands out is it takes patience, too. Like, love is patient. Love is kind. Like that does, Those changes don't happen overnight. But it's a patience to get into the needs around us and say, okay, it's not an overnight solution. It's not a government solution. But if we can just bring some love to the situation and hang in there by the grace of God, things are going to change. And if we can do it collectively as a community, things really can change. So what do we do? I just want to wrap up with some next steps. Practically, how do we, how do we bring this home? Well, I want, to t- I want to encourage you to do this this week at least twice a day. Do these first two steps. Do them twice a day. Do them when you wake up and do them at 2.57 in the afternoon. You say, why 2.57? It's just a fun time, I thought of. But... I think it'd be cool if you set an alarm on your phone for 2.57 this week and for when you wake up to do these first two out of three steps I'm going to give you. All right? And they're not that hard. First one is believe you're loved by God. So when you wake up this morning and tomorrow morning, every morning, and when your alarm on your phone goes off at 2.57, I want you to Make sure, or get in a place, if you're not in a place, of knowing that you are loved by God. Of knowing that God is patient, God is kind, He's patient and kind to you. Today, and tomorrow, and Thursday, whether you're having a good day, or a bad day, God is love. God is patient, God is kind, He's that way to you. And and really, that's, the goal of this is to help this be a practice not just for this week or not just for 257, but to choose to, okay, to be grounded in the love of God for us because we have to have that for ourselves and for others. So 257, believe that you're loved by God and when you wake up. And then at 257, and when you wake up, second step, replace your unkindness and impatience that if by chance there might just be a little bit of that in your heart, at 2.57 in the afternoon, or when you wake up, there's a whole lot of it in my heart when I wake up every day. Replace that unkindness and impatience with God's kindness and patience. Put off our attitude and put on God's attitude. All right, how's that sound? Thank you. Can you do that? You want to do that? All right, I'm looking forward to hearing some stories about what that looks like. Hopefully, it will help us change gears as we're going through through our days. And then one more next step. This is a this is a little this is a bigger one. Um, is how can we be taking bigger steps towards people around us that that need God's patience and kindness? Well one that we like to promote is become a his friend. There are this summer there are a bunch of new international students. There are Fulbright scholars that just arrived in Manhattan. And they're here for a couple of weeks. There are opportunities to befriend them. And then as the fall comes, there are going to be hundreds more international students coming. And we love to encourage people to be a his friend, to be a friend to an international student where you build a friendship and take them to Walmart, have meals together, help do practical things, build a friendship with someone like that. And or, and this is something, this would, this would require a critical mass of us, 
But there's this thing called Care Portal. And Care Portals is a really cool ministry that basically links the foster care system with local churches. And you may or may not, not know this, but in Kansas, like in most states, there's a huge need in the foster care system. There is a waiting list. There, there are hundreds of kids out there that need a foster care home. And that's a big deal to become a foster parent. And so you may or may not be ready or be called to take on that role. But there's an intermediate step where a lot of times there's a short-term need where someone needs something physical. They maybe need a pair of shoes or a meal or an active service in a local environment. And Care Portal, what they, does, what they do is when there's a local need, they contact churches in that community and say, can you help with this? Maybe help watch for a few hours or something like that. And so this is something we as a church would love to do, but it's going to take a critical mass of people that say, yeah, I'd be willing to help meet those needs when they, when they show up. And so if you would say, yeah, I, I would like to be part of that solution, then if you would, um, I think it would take like 10 people or 10 families in our church to say, yeah, we'd be part of that, to, to say, yes, we could do it as a church. So if you'd say, yes, I'd be part of that, then just indicate that on your connection card, on your bulletin, and then turn that in at the Welcome Center today, and we'll see it. We'd love to get to that place as soon as we can and really serve some of those practical needs that are in our, in our area as they come. All right. God is patient. Look, God is kind. God brings that into our lives. We're going to worship with another song and trust in God to just keep bringing this about in our lives. Wherever we're out, wherever wherever we're at. So worship team, go ahead and come on up and